0: There's just two points I want to bring out of this passage here this morning. Two points. The first one is this. It's not about guilt. It's not about guilt. What impresses me in this passage is that Paul does not use any sort of shame tactic on the wealth of people. He doesn't make the rich, the wealthy feel guilty for being rich and wealthy. He doesn't try to make anyone feel bad for having some things that others don't have. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but he doesn't say that money itself is evil. And he says that those who seek to be rich are in danger. They can fall into a trap. But he doesn't blast those who have wealth. It's not about guilt. I've done the guilt thing. And and, and I'm done with it. In fact, Paul says this in verse 17. He says, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So apparently God's not against enjoying the things he blesses you with. I've done the guilt thing, and it's simply not productive. Eight years ago, I came back from my first uh, missions trip to a third world country, and, and I was frankly a little bit screwed up in the head. I, I, I uh, saw the face of a Haitian child on every dollar that I had, and I began to feel guilty for everything that I had that they didn't have. And uh, I, I would wonder myself, how could I possibly buy a book to read if other people don't have enough money to buy food to eat? How could I go to a movie if, if uh, that money could be spent keeping a kid alive One more day, and and, and, uh, how can I buy any extra clothes and eat any extra food and have any kind of extra entertainment uh, because those people don't have that? And I was frankly quite miserable. And as always happens, the guilt led me to a judgmentalism. Judgment always rides on the, on the heels of guilt, because judgment is about deflecting guilt. Find me a Pharisee, and I'll find you somebody who's trying to deflect guilt. If I can get the attention off of me onto you, then, I, then the attention's not on me, and that's kind of the mindset of, of a Pharisee. And I found myself in the misery of my uh, uh, American lifestyle, not enjoying any of it, but being very miserable, and honestly, it put a little bit of tension in our marriage, wouldn't you say, honey? It it was, it was not a pleasant time for us. We were not happy campers. And see, there had to come a time where God kind of slapped me up alongside of the face. And, and see, it was good. It was good that I was aware of poverty and that I wanted to do something about poverty and, and that I was calling into question the values of our culture. That's a good and necessary thing. But the Lord really said to me, do you really think you're, you're helping the world by being miserable? Do you think that you're helping anybody by lowering, trying to lower your own standard of living down to where they're at? I'm a God of abundance and I want to use you to not, you go down to their level, but do what, do what you can to bring them up to your level. Uh, God, God's design for creation is for humans to enjoy the creation. And that one respect, uh, where we, uh, people who are in a position where they can enjoy the creation are more kingdom, are in a more kingdom-like position than those who are in poverty. What God had to show me was this. There's a balance that we all need to wrestle with. On the one hand, God's heart is to bless his children and to have them enjoy that blessing. There's nothing wrong with that. There's something actually quite kingdom about that. Enjoy what you have. But see... We're in a fallen world that is caught, ransacked in spiritual war. And so we have to balance our enjoyment with the reality of the war zone that we're a part of. A war zone where 40,000 kids will die of malnourishment today. And that has to balance our enjoyment. And each of us has to live in the tension of that. I can't tell you a formula about how to uh, decide these matters. What needs to happen? What the Lord showed me was this. Uh, you, you, You bring it all before God. You acknowledge that everything you have every breath you breathe, every thought you think, every penny you earn belongs to God. And you say, God, here it is. Uh, Lord, you direct me as to what I should enjoy for myself and you direct me as to what I should invest in the war zone in furthering the kingdom. And having done that, live guilt-free. Live guilt-free. It's not, it's not my fault I was born in America. It's not your fault that, 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 that you're good at making money. It's not your fault that you invested in some stock and it went sky high. It's not your fault that your parents were very wealthy and you've got an inheritance. You don't need to feel guilty about that. What you do need to ask is, God, how would you want me to steward this? As I was going down the Mekong River looking at this terrible poverty, I, I was grieved in my heart, but I, I can tell you I didn't feel any guilt I I was moved with compassion, but I did not feel guilt. I was reminded of my good fortune. I just got lucky being born in America, and I appreciated that, but I did not feel guilty over that. I was reminded of my need to take responsibility as God directs me for poverty issues, but I was not moved to guilt. Uh, Having obeyed the way God calls us to obey, you leave it go. And the world is a war zone, and there's unfairness in it. Enjoy what God blesses you with, but don't forget about the war. And secondly, beware of the trap. And that's the second point I want to make of the, the passage that Paul gave us in 1 Timothy. Paul says this in verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires. In fact, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Here's this teaching in a nutshell. It's not having riches that is itself uh, bad. Uh, that's a blessing. But wanting to get more and more, wanting to be rich and to be richer is a trap. It's a snare, a device of the enemy. And when you fall into that snare, you will have harmful and foolish desires because you'll start desiring things that you really don't need, but it will feel like you need them. And the more you have, the more you'll want to have. And you'll wander from the faith, Paul says, because the faith isn't simply a a theoretical belief we have about Jesus being the Son of God. Faith is about walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if that means anything at all, it means learning to live uh, with self-sacrificial love, learning how to sacrifice for others. And to the degree that we're entrapped into this greed cycle, we wander from the faith. And I believe in the core of my being that our culture, right here and right now, is very much, we are very much in danger of falling into this trap. We need to be perpetually aware of the trap. We live in a culture that runs, I believe, runs on this trap. Uh, it, 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 It survives and thrives by keeping people perpetually in want, never being content with what we have, but always wanting more. It is, I believe, part of the matrix of the culture that we're in. As Duane noted last week, the matrix is any area of our life where we are brainwashed into seeing things uh, in an unrealistic way, where we're brainwashed not to notice things as they really are, where our assessment of ourselves is not accurate. And the part of the matrix of this culture is that we can fall into the trap of dre- greed. There's a, there's a magnetic quality to things uh, that just sort of absorbs you and, and uh, pulls you in. And if you're not careful, you fall to that and you can be caught in greed but all the while think that you're actually very generous and i believe that our culture the american culture as a whole and the american church has to a large degree fallen in fallen into this trap of greed here's how webster's dictionary defines greed it is excessive or reprehensible acquisitiveness i love that definition Excessive or reprehensible acquisitiveness. Excessive because you want to acquire more and more and more things. Bigger and bigger. Brighter and brighter. Faster and faster. Cuter and cuter. We want to acquire more and more things excessively. And it's reprehensible because in a war zone, we need to think about others. And not just be obsessed with our own acquisitiveness. I think all the evidence indicates that America as a nation and the church to a large degree within this nation has fallen into this, just this trap. Consider, consider just a few statistics. The standard of living among Americans is on the whole there are certainly exceptions but as a nation we live four times better than the average person on this planet. Our standard of living is four times higher than the global average. And yet the average American gives or spends 97 to 98% of everything they make on themselves. Think about that. We live four times better than the global average, and we spend 97 to 98% on ourselves. As a nation, since 1962, between 1962 and 1998, the last year I was able to get statistics on this, the gap between America and third world countries, the poorest third of the population on the planet, two billion people roughly, the gap between us and them increased four times. During the same 36-year period, the percentage of our gross, gross national product that we gave to helping that poorest third population decreased almost tenfold. The bigger the gap, the less we give to lessen the gap, it seems. As a nation, Americans overeat more than the third world under eats. Think about that. The average American will spend more money on food than on charity, more money on clothes than on charity, in fact, more money just on shoes than charity, more money on movies than charity, more money on vacations than than charity, in fact, more money on pornography than charity. Last year, Americans spent $3 billion in pornographic videotapes. What does this say about us as a nation? If there's one sin, a dominant sin, that characterizes this nation, I submit to you it is the sin of greed. It is, in fact, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says this in Ezekiel chapter 16. The Lord says to Israel, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Now, God isn't against having prosperous ease. God isn't against having excess food. God isn't against having wealth. Uh, that is a blessing from God. What He is against is having that at the expense of others, where you no longer care about the poor. You no longer aid those who are in need. Now you are in serious trouble. And, and I, I, I think if you, if you want to ask the question about the direction America's going, uh, this is, uh, this is the sin to be looking at. It's all the more serious because. We hardly ever hear this priest in our pulpits. You hear about a lot of other sins. God's punishing America because of this sin or that sin or the other sin. But I submit to you, if if we get out of the matrix and look at things as they really are, we'll see that the, the major sin that this country is guilty of and to a too large a degree the church is guilty of is the sin of Sodom. It's the sin of having excess and not sharing out of that excess with others. God does not mind people having excess. He certainly minds when they have that to the point where they're blinded to the needs of others. What's most concerning is that there is no sin in the Bible more frequently mentioned than greed. It is sin number one in terms of the frequency of it it being mentioned. This needs to concern us. And all of that teaching in Scripture comes down to what Paul says in verse 17. It was simply this. Command those who are wealthy to do good. Open our eyes, Lord. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. The central thing in Scripture. God has called the church. Holy Spirit, descend on us right now. God has called us to be known for our good deeds. God calls the church. The church is called to be known for its sharing. Uh, the, the church is called to be known for its richness of good deeds and its generosity. The church is called to imitate Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, it says in Philippians chapter 2, though he was in the form of God, he didn't cling to his equality with God, it says in Philippians 2. He didn't hoard the riches of heaven. Rather, he emptied himself, it says. And in 2 Corinthians 9, it says that he who who was rich became poor, that we who are poor might become rich. And now the Bible calls us to imitate Jesus Christ, to live like Jesus Christ. Uh, In all that we do, the way we steward our resources. The Bible calls us, calls the church to wake up to the matrix, amen? To wake up and say, no to the culture of materialism. To say no to the culture of greed. To say no to the culture of narcissism. To wake up to the reality of the matrix and how it holds us in bondage. How it stifles the flow of God's presence in our life. The church is called to manifest the reality that this world is not the final show. This world is a prelude to the final show. We got a mansion coming. We don't need to be craving one right now. Amen? Amen. We We got an inheritance coming. We don't need to be craving an inheritance now. We got riches galore coming throughout eternity. We don't need to be craving riches right now. Thank God and enjoy what he's given you, but you don't need to be craving more and more and more. No, it's coming. Right now is a war zone and we got stuff we gotta do with a blessing that God has, has given to us. The church is called to model the truth that the main purpose for a blessing is to be a blessing to other people. The church is called to model the joy of outrageous living and the joy of outrageous giving. The joy of being free. You're not owned by anybody. When you think you own something, you know what? It's starting to own you. You acknowledge that everything belongs to God. It's all God's. Every penny you got is God's. The car is God's. The house is God's. The clothes is God's. The vacation is God's. And so you don't own it. It doesn't own you. You live free. And to live free is to live in joy. And the church is called to model that, to show people a way out of the trap of this matrix, that life-sucking, least breeding uh, greed that just sucks life out of people. Oh, the church is called to live like that, to demonstrate that, to be countercultural, And when we do that, I believe if the church as a whole would do this, we would see a revival in this land like we have never even dreamed of. I, I, we don't usually connect the dots that way. You know, what, how we steward our, our, our resources has something to do with uh, the outpouring of the Spirit in the church and through the church to the land. But, but the Bible does connect the dots that way. Let me give you a passage. There's a time where God, where Israel was being religious, and that's fine. They're doing a lot of religious things, and that's fine. They were fasting from food, and that's fine. But they were not caring for the poor and the needy. And so God says this to them in verse 6 of Isaiah 58. Is this, is not this the fast that I choose? Here's what I want you to fast on. To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke. Yoke is like where, where you, they put captives, uh, their head and, and hands in that you know, Yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Isn't that the fast the Lord has called us to? Uh, you know, if you wonder why we hit on injustice issues around here, it's because God hits on injustice issues. Uh, you know, I, I know that that's not standard evangelical stuff sometimes, but, but uh, uh, the reason why we're concerned about poverty and racial injustice and other forms of injustice and oppression is because God's very concerned with injustice and oppression of all varieties. Someone had said to me uh, rather recently that, she goes, you know, you're getting a reputation... Uh, out there for being a liberal because of all your concern about, you know, racial reconciliation and poverty issues and things of that sort. Liberal. It's like, well, you know what, if that's liberal, then God help me never become a conservative, you know? Uh, and- I don't get those categories. I don't know what anyone. I, I don't understand that. But you know, if that's being liberal, then then Isaiah is liberal. And if you want to find someone really liberal, you go read the minor prophets. Read Amos. You know, uh, these guys really were liberal. Uh, help us never be conservative. If that's ever considered a liberal thing, that's a Bible thing. That's a gospel thing. That that's a God hard kind of a thing. That's a church thing. That's what we're called to do. Verse seven. I'm starting to feel the. I'm feeling an anointing coming on here. (laughs) Kick the devil. Here's the fast. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? You liberal. Uh, To bring the homeless poor into your house. This is pretty basic. Uh, When you see the naked, hey, how about this? How would you cover them? And not to hide yourself from your own kin, not to look the other way. Someone's got to care about that peasant down there who's got no clothes and it's supposed to be the church. Now listen to this, verse 8: Then your light, when you fast like this, then your light shall break forth like the dawn. Then your healing shall spring up in the land. When you fast like this, then your vindicator shall go before you, and then the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. When you fast like this, then you shall call on the Lord. Lord will answer, and when you fast like this, then you shall cry for help, and He will say, "Here I am." You want to see God answer prayer? Develop a concern for the poor and the oppressed about injustice. You want to see the glory of God break forth like the dawn? I want to see that, don't you? You know, it's got something to do with how we steward our resources. Are we, in fact, concerned about the poor and those who are oppressed? You want to see healing spring forth in the land. You want to see revival happen in and outside of the church. You want to see God answering prayer, saying, here I am. It's got something to do with how we steward our resources. Do we have generous hearts? Do we care about those that others don't care about? Are we willing to cover the naked, to home the homeless, provide homes for the homeless, to care about injustice and, 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 and oppression? What would happen if instead of spending 97% of our income on ourselves, we only spent a mere 90%? What if the church at large did that? Do you know that you'd be able to, it's been estimated that the church, of, the evangelicals, if they all uh, only spent 90% of themselves, we could support the entire welfare of the United States two times over. And then God would be good to glory for it rather than Uncle Sam. Think about it. But the main thing it would do is it would unleash, it would unclog the artery to let the power of God begin to flow through us. Because God flows through hearts that are like His heart. And His heart is to help people in poverty. His heart is to demonstrate a concern for those the world doesn't concern, concern itself with. And I can't do a whole lot about the church at large, but I can do something about the church here at Wooden Hills. And you know what? I want to see God move. I want to see revival happen. I want to see people being healed. I want to see families reunited. I want to see captives set free. It's got something to do with how we steward our resources. We are, most of us here, tremendously blessed. I thank God that he's sending more and more people who are, in fact, in poverty to our congregation. But the majority of us here are tremendously blessed. The question is this. What does he want us to enjoy? And that's a good thing. Don't feel guilty. It's not about guilt. Guilt is never a, a, a healthy motivator. What does he want us to enjoy? It's about obedience. And what does he want us to sacrifice for the good of the war? Uh, I'll end with this, this charge. All we can do, there are people who have formulas about this, but I never trust formulas, and there's no formula in the New Testament. A percentage that everyone's supposed to do. The biblical pattern's 10%. I think that's a good benchmark. But the, more, the higher principle in the New Testament is this. God loves a cheerful giver. And th- So you go to the Lord and you say, God, I acknowledge that everything I have belongs to you. And, you know, very shortly, it's going to be taken away from you anyways. Uh, You didn't come here into the world with it, and you're not going to leave with it. So you might as well ask, what should I do with it in the meantime? And you can either use it in ways that will bring about eternal dividends, or you use it in ways that are utterly meaningless and will go down on the ground with you. And so you go to the Lord and you just say, Lord, how would you direct me? How would you direct me? I believe one of the best indicators, in fact, perhaps in this culture, the best indicator for how we're doing spiritually, to to help us wake up from the matrix, because it's so easy to be self-deceived. Most Americans, in fact, feel like they're very, very generous, though they're spending 98% of their income on themselves. That 2% hurts them, so they feel very generous. But it's deception. The best, one of the best indicators for how we're doing spiritually that's accurate is follow the money trail. Money does not lie. We spend money on what has value to us. Uh, Look at, in fact, how the money goes out and you'll find what you really value. And so we need to go to God and say, God, I want to have your heart. Uh, uh, Direct me on how I should uh, use this. He might tell you to do something outrageous. Watch it. This is a dangerous prayer, but it's a liberating prayer. It's a freedom prayer. Lord, how would you have me to use this? God sometimes calls people to do radical things. Barnabas in the book of Acts had this huge plot of land. God says, donate it to the church to help feed the poor. And he did it. But I'll tell you this. when you, It's like Nicole said earlier, you can't outgive God. Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Uh, when you're faithful in little, God will make you faithful in much. He loves to bless so that you can be a blessing and what a privilege it is to be on the blessing end of this equation. Uh, and, and he will not leave you high and dry. If you step out on the water, he will not let you drown. Now, mind you, you, may come, you the water may go up to your neck before he pulls you out. Uh, that happens sometimes. Sometimes, I, I, I've, my wife and I have been led sometimes to make a, a few rather, uh, for us, radical commitments where we didn't quite know how we're gonna do it. And, and we've seen sometimes the Lord comes by and just, boom, immediately, supernaturally. There's, we don't miss a beat. The money's made up. Other times, it's not quite so fast. In fact, we're in one of those times right now where the water's like, okay, Lord, any moment would be fine with us. But you know what? We're not going to drown. He's not going to let you drown. You're faithful and it will make you faithful and much. The issue here is this. Are you walking in obedience? Honestly, with raw honesty, go before God say, God, it's all yours, how would you have me to use it? you got to know this as well, that a percentage of everything that, that we do as a church, we pool our resources here because we can do more together than we can do individually. A percentage of all of that goes to helping the poor, to helping... Uh, those who are living uh, below the level of of your, your basic food, shelter, and clothing. And we're getting more and more in this congregation. We need to up that considerably. Our goal is to, uh, right now, we're, we're looking at doubling, doubling the percentage that we give towards that. And so as we pool our resources, we're helping do that. This is why, by the way, in the Growing in the Spirit campaign, the overseers made the decision that while it, 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 we, we believe it's vitally important to build this youth center to pay off our debt, the, the first portion of this Growing in the Spirit campaign, roughly 10%, we're going to give away. We're going to give away to meet the need, the basic needs of people. So we're partnering with, with ministries uh, to reach prostitutes on the streets, to feed homeless people, to, to, to help the church in Cambodia. You give it away. It's a kingdom principle. Give off the top. Give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Would you close your eyes to pray? And I'm just going to ask you very quickly this one question, a a moment of truth, a moment of truth. Concentrate here. Don't move for a moment, okay? This is not an incidental kingdom thing. It is a central kingdom thing. Our wallets do not lie. And no one can judge you. No one can second guess how you live, the standard you live at. It's no one's business. It's between you and God, but it is between you and God. And I just want to know here, I I, I don't want to know, but I want to give us the opportunity before God to make a covenant. Some of you have already done this. Some of you did it, but have forgotten about it. Others of you, maybe never have done it. But are you willing to say, God, everything I have belongs to you. Everything I have belongs to you. And I will earnestly pursue your heart as to what I should enjoy and as to what I should uh, steward for the kingdom, give away to the kingdom. It's not about necessarily committing to give to the church here. It may be other things that God leads you in. You're a minister. God will lead you as to what you should give and and where you should give it. What I'm interested in is the heart that says, I'm willing to give. And so this morning, if if you are willing to make that covenant or renew that covenant with God, God, it's all yours. You direct me as to what I should enjoy, what I should give, uh, uh, give away. Would you just before God raise your hand Just raise your hand and say, God, I I, want to surrender to you. I want to surrender to you. Just doing this will break a stronghold. It will break a stronghold. I don't know where God will lead you. Just raise that hand. Raise that hand. And I want to pray for all of us who are making this commitment here this morning. Father, uh, you have blessed us tremendously. There are people here who don't have basic needs met. Uh, Most of us have been blessed tremendously. And God, I want to right now personally on behalf of my family uh, surrender once again my finances, my house, my clothes, my everything to you because it is all yours and I'm not going to take any of it with me. And God, I don't want it to own me, so I'm not going to try to own it. And Father, I pray that that mindset would just permeate this congregation right now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, that you'd wake us up to the matrix, Lord God. I pray you'd help us to see how how, uh, that trap sucks life out of us. Lord, show us, reveal to us how how much joy there is and how much freedom there is and not being owned by anyone and anything. Lord, we want to be your people, Lord God. And so I pray, God, that, that you'll lead us and guide us, talk to us, direct us as to how we should steward our resources because, Lord, we want to be your people. Lord, I pray that, that guilt would not be the, the enemy couldn't turn this in anyone's mind into a guilt thing, but, Lord, help us to see it as an opportunity thing, a kingdom thing, a freedom thing. We surrender everything to you. Thank you for, for blessing us and help us to be a blessing to others at all times and all places. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen, amen. amen.